Welcome to another Opportunity Attack from the Grognards. I'm Dean Geiken. I'm Eric Holly, soon to be joined by Greg Ziegler. And in this Opportunity Attack, it is none other than Luke Gygax that has provoked our action. Luke is the son of D&D co-creator Gary Gygax. He is also the co-founder and organizer of the awesomely fun GaryCon, which is held in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, coming up March 7th through the 10th. And so we rolled really well on our persuasion check, and so now we have Luke on the phone to talk with us about all things related to GaryCon, growing up Gygax, D&D, and gaming in general. Welcome, Luke, and thank you very much for joining us on the Grognards. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. Well, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, we're quite excited about this, and so we've yeah. got a we've got some questions we'd like to ask you. Uh, well, first, I, I just want to share that GaryCon has surpassed GenCon as my favorite gaming convention of the year. So, great job with GaryCon, Luke. Um, <laughs> oh, is, thank you. That's high praise. Yeah, it's it's tons of fun. Um, I will have to say that I'm I would agree with Eric on that. This is the only con that I have ever searched for GMs to play with as opposed to specific games. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, there's the the GM quality at Gary Khan is very high. <laughs> so, that's a that's a testament. Yeah, it, you know, that's what I uh, it's funny and if I can just uh, jump in there, that's sure. what I tell a lot of pe- a lot of people who come to uh, Gary Khan uh, uh, for the first time especially, they'll be a little surprised because we have uh, as opposed to our, our the way I did it, just just out of simplicity really. Uh, the first Gary Con, I didn't have any planned events whatsoever. I just, you just showed up and played games. And, uh, you know, I wasn't thinking about it, but I'm sure a lot of the guys who came there were probably designers in their own right because they happened to be friends of my dad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So whether it was Jim Ward or, or, you know, Frank or whoever it was, uh, uh, you would just come and play. That, that was what it was about. And then uh, when I, it, it grew and I had to be a little bit more organized, uh, we decided, well, we're doing this registration. We can't just let the first person who signs up sign up for all the games with, you know, the guys who were the old guards that time, the, what I still call them today, you know, uh, Frank, Jim, Tim, Mike, and Tom, Juan, Mike, Carr, Tom, Juan. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we, we did a little points uh, system, or gold piece system and silver piece system, and over the years that morphed into featured events and regular events. And so some guys will be like, oh, geez, I can, uh, all the, you know, upper tier badges are gone. I can just only get a silver badge i'm like hey man a silver badge that's all the gaming you want that's as many games as you can fit in absolutely walk onto and 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 just the featured events are great but i mean there's guys who've come for years and they tell me you know what i forgot to register one year the best time i had was just showing up yeah and walking up to games and i met some amazing gms I just had a blast. No, it was even better than the year that I, you know, focused and really, you know, got into all these exact games that I thought I wanted. Yeah. Uh, sometimes it's better just to show up and see who's there because Gary Khan is the beneficiary of uh, a lot of goodwill. A lot of folks make the pilgrimage to Lake Geneva. Uh, and this is the convention that people, you know, a lot of uh, vendors or, or, you know, people in the business come to Gary Khan not to work but to play. Well, so I'll have, be sitting at the table with a lot of those guys. I'll have to say, i got to put a shout-out to Nancy Hutchins. Uh, she was somebody I did not know, and I played in one of her games last year, and I had so much fun, and we just got along so well that I <laughs> I actually took a picture of her and her badge so that I could seek her out again for this year's <laughs> Gary Con. I know that's a little creepy, but... <laughs> and if I'm not mistaken, um, I think... I think you guys open it initially starts as one featured event per silver badge but then doesn't it like open up after a certain amount of time 
Because I well, seem to remember yeah, I got into more than one. Correct. So um, something that I think is very important is that if I make a promise to someone, uh, I want to keep it. So if I sell a certain number of badges and I say you're going to get so many featured events, I make sure that it, that there's enough to go around. So I will, yeah, I'll say, hey, there's only so many badges or whatever the case may be. That's, that's important to live up to your word uh, in, in whatever we're doing. And I know people trust, uh, you trust us that Gary can do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we will limit it to it's one per, per silver badge. And if we sell, you know, 1,800 badges or something, it may only be one per silver badge. But if only you know, 1,200 people pre-register and we have extra, uh, there's no reason to have empty seats at the table. So we just open up another round and say, go ahead. We've added another featured event for everybody. Go ahead and pick a second round. Okay. Because uh, there's no reason to have empty seats at the table. Yes. Yeah. Can we go back a little bit? So um, what started uh, your idea to, to create GaryCon? Let's go back to the beginning of the, the foundation. The origin story. The origin story of GaryCon. Can you yeah. uh, relate a little bit of that information? Yeah, yeah absolutely. And uh, uh, yeah, one thing I forget is, of course, I know why it's called GaryCon, but many people have asked me, oh, is it because it's in Gary, Indiana, or something like that? And, <laughs> God forbid. Uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I say no. It's, it's, you know, it's uh, named after my father, Gary Gygax, and it came out of a very sad event. Uh, on March 4th of 2008, um, my father uh, passed away. I remember getting that phone call and how uh, just horrible uh, that feeling is. And anyone who's lost a parent, uh, you know, can understand uh, those feelings. Well, I found, uh, I traveled back to, uh, I live in California, so I traveled back to Wisconsin and, uh, uh, you know, helped prepare, uh, you know, I prepared a eulogy, I was doing all these things. And as we're going through uh, this process, I was just astounded by the number of people who reached out. I was, there was news stories uh, about my father passing, and, and folks were talking about how important uh, he was to them uh, through his work with Dungeons and Dragons. Thousands of people reached out by email, posted on forums, uh, gave me phone calls. Uh, I'm in the California Army National Guard, and I was in a recruiting at that time, and so my number was, was fairly uh, easily easy to find. And there were folks who were calling me who were senior officers in the uh, in the California Guard, and uh, just expressing their condolences, saying, "Hey, I don't know you, but you know, your dad meant a lot to me, and I just wanted to take a moment to send my condolences." It's kind of like I lost someone important in my family as well with the, the passing of your father. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, so that was uh, with that in mind, and it, it, um, when you're able to share uh, that kind of a, a loss with a larger group. It's really cathartic, it's helpful, uh, and I really appreciate my family, and I appreciated all the, the folks who took time to reach out and to share uh, in whatever way um, how important my father was to them and, and, and give us that sense of, help give us that sense of comfort during this time. And so uh, I thought, well, uh, geez, they, um, you know, after the funeral, uh, there's a lot of people who actually physically drove to Lake Geneva. Um, we should have a little gathering. And I thought, what better place than the American Legion Hall in Lake Geneva, which is a place that I remember very fondly uh, in the late 1970s when I was very young, uh, small convention. And my brothers and sisters, well, my sisters primarily, my mom would work the concession stand, and uh, my brother <laughs> and my dad would play games. Uh, and that was awesome. So that's kind of what we did. Uh, we, I rented out the American Legion Hall, and uh, we set up a microphone and said, hey, tell your favorite stories about my dad. If, you, if you'd like to, you can share that. Uh, otherwise, uh, we'll have D&D, the D&D cartoon, the Futurama episode that, that he was in playing. Uh, <laughs> so there's, you know, uh, uh, there's some drink, there's some food. 
that people had brought, come and, come and have a great time playing games and talking about and remembering my dad. And uh, people had such a, uh, a good time there, uh, and, and they just really enjoyed um, that opportunity and that fellowship. Uh, someone said to me, "Hey, hey, Luke, you should you should do this every, you should do this again next year. This is a really great way to to honor your father." Of course they and, did. Uh, yeah. I believe, <laughs> yeah, and I I believe it was Jolly Blackburn must have been within earshot because uh, he chimed in and said, "You can call it Gary Con," and uh, I didn't know it uh, at that time, but uh, in the comic book called Night at the Dinner Table that Jolly picked, yeah Gary Jackson. Uh, you're right. There's Gary Jackson yep. from a yeah from Hard Eight Games, I believe it is, and uh, uh, of course that's his character. And Gary Con is their Gen Con yep. in that world, uh, and so uh, so I have the full blessing of uh, of Jolly to use <laughs> Gary Con. I didn't know that it existed prior to uh, uh, prior to that, but uh, uh, so, yeah. So uh, that is that is how Gary Con happened. Was that Gary Con Zero or was that Gary Con One? In 2008, it would have been what became known as Gary Con Zero. Okay. That was the gathering after his funeral. And then in 2009, I, I did the same thing. I rented out the American Legion Hall, and uh, you know my brothers and sisters helped me. They cooked food and, and brought it in there. We made a few, you know, uh, ringer T-shirts, some white T-shirts with green, you know, armbands and, and neck band, and put a lizard man on there because I thought, well, that's kind of cool. I remember the lizard band from with logo from way back when. And, uh, I, I love the fact that you said that your your brothers and sisters were helping cook the food and catering it. I just think that is fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And and you know we didn't charge money the first year. I expected that I would spend a few thousand dollars every year to throw a party and have people come and you know remember my dad and, mm-hmm. and that yeah. was it. I, I I had no idea how many people would show up, whether it be you know fifteen or fifty. Uh, how many the first year? About a hundred. I think some uh, a friend of mine. Uh, said you can't just let people show up you have to do some kind of sign up online and that sort of thing so so he did and issued badges and numbered them i think about 168 people that came so, hmm. sounds like sounds like a lot of the origins of D just recreated <laughs> at a later time you know that yeah, that small that is, gen con and right grows from there so um you know you brought something up and that sense of community you know on i I don't think it took the death of your father to to make it happen, but I think there's you know there's this gamer community out there, and GaryCon embodies that feeling that that we all share this common thread. No matter what other differences we have, we can come together and enjoy ourselves. And I, I truthfully, I think we need more of that in this country right now. But um, but yeah. that's what I love about GaryCon. You know, it's just everybody's on the same page. We all love the same things. You know. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that because uh, I'm a little bit tardy here in writing. I usually write a little introductory page to the GaryCon event guide. It's sort of a, you know, an old-fashioned thing that we do, but I just like to do it, and I think it adds to the convention. We print a hard copy event guide, you know, color color cover, you know, high quality event guide, and that, you know, gosh, I don't think people see that. It's like 80 or 90 pages. But anyway, I write a little intro in the beginning, and I, I just was reflecting on why is it that GaryCon keeps growing and so many people enjoy it and uh besides having like a super amazing skilled guy who's organizing it and very charismatic at that uh it really boiled down to uh that was a joke <laughs> it boiled down to community it boiled down to community and it's basically a whole bunch of people uh just want it to be successful and they put their heart and soul in there and they're willing to give and help and uh make it happen and so Gary Gunn is just the recipient. It's the, the embodiment of the great sense of community and 
you know, gamers are good people. I, I say that a lot. And I, I mean it because gamers are good people and we get together and we have a, a wonderful time and I'm really lucky uh, and you know, honored uh, to be privileged enough to help uh, organize GaryCon and carry on a legacy of my father this way. So it really blows me away. And uh, it's just something that over the years, you know, it's changed me. I've grown a lot as a person through doing this. I've learned a lot of stuff. And uh, I'm just uh, very uh, appreciative of being part of that community. Eric went uh, two years ago, and then he said to me, Dean, you've got to go to GaryCon. It's amazing. And so I went last year. Last year was my inaugural year. And I'd have to agree. It was uh, – I'd never been before, didn't know what to expect. But, my goodness, it was just so much fun, and I felt so relaxed. Um, at other game conventions, I tend to kind of spin my wheels a little bit in trying to, you know, get my footing and such. But, boy – I just walked into GaryCon, and it was great, and you're absolutely right. That whole community sense just kind of took over, and it just made an incredibly uh, wonderful experience for me. Uh, my experience was about the same way, too. Actually, that was my first overnight game convention. And, uh, yeah, just nothing else existed in the world other than we were there. We got up, we played games, we drank beer, <laughs> repeat. Yeah, uh, my, my favorite, my first GaryCon I went and uh, played uh, Fight in the Sky Society Dawn Patrol. And while we're playing, um, some older gentleman stops by and says, hey, you guys having fun? And uh, it was Mike Carr just saying, hey, I, I made this game. Are you having fun doing it? Nice. <laughs> yeah. You know. Yeah, he made that game when he was about 16. Yeah, so, yeah. Geez, it was so. a while ago. Um, and the other thing, and not to be light, but it's almost a pilgrimage for gamers to go to Lake Geneva. You know, it's this little you know, vacation-y type kind of town. And it's sort of interesting as opposed to going to Indianapolis to Gen Con to, to go to, you know, I wasn't uh, lucky enough to make it to Lake Geneva for Gen Con. I was playing D&D back then, but I lived on the East Coast and my parents weren't going to foot that bill. <laughs> yeah. So what are your future plans for Gary Con? I mean, how big can it grow? I am assuming you probably want to keep it in Lake Geneva, right? Yes, that was a uh, that was a struggle from the earliest days. That you know, some people were like, "Oh, it's the next Gen Con. Let's grow this thing to you know ten or ten thousand people and move to Milwaukee." And uh, <laughs> it's hard enough to organize right now. It's it, it two thousand people. Uh, I sure as heck don't want to try to organize it at ten thousand people and and take on all that. Plus, uh, uh, besides the practical aspects and uh, my not wanting to. Uh, be the organizer of a giant convention, uh, you know, hats off to those folks who do that. Uh, uh, like Peter Adkisson, by the way, who comes to Gary Khan and has come for many years uh, and is a great source of uh, advice. Uh, yeah. That's a much different animal and uh, it's not what I want it to do. So for me, uh, for the foreseeable future, I plan on staying at the Grand Geneva Resort in uh, Lake Geneva, Wisconsin and holding a convention in March uh, for the simple reason that that is the memorial convention to my father in the place where he lived his the majority of his life where D&D was created where TSR uh, was started where uh, the Gen Con you know my dad started Gen Con in 1968 you know he founded that in the horticultural hall in Lake Kiva mm -hmm. and I think that's where Gary Khan belongs that that is our our home here uh, here you know, here here we totally agree <laughs> If, things, if something changes drastically or, or, or whatever, I mean, I, I suppose there's, you know, something could happen, but I don't have any plans for that. I don't foresee that. I'm very happy at a convention of about 2,500 people uh, at, the, at the Grand Geneva, and I think that's probably about as big as we can get uh, comfortably. 
I think that's important. I want it to. I want to maintain. Uh, I've just been surprised year after year as we grow, because uh, we grew at GaryCon Seven, I think, to 900 people, and we were in a different hotel, and we just couldn't fit. It was mm-hmm. getting uncomfortable. We couldn't fit any more people in there, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, so I took the leap and went to a different uh, hotel, and the, the largest hotel and uh, in Lake Geneva. It's a four diamond resort, so it's significantly, <laughs> significantly uh, nicer, and uh, uh, yeah, we grew into that, uh, can, and now we take the whole hotel. And I thought, oh, geez, you know, geez, we'll be here at the Grand Geneva. We could never get too big for this place. Well, three years later, we're maxing it out. And uh, we, we fill up the entire hotel and the hotels around. Now, uh, and I expect we'll be about 2,500 people this year. But as you guys are, are, are a testament to, when you walk in, you still have the feeling that you're not in an antiseptic, huge environment where you're one of, uh, you know, 10,000 drones that are milling about. It feels like you're with uh, friends or yes. you're in a community. And that, that's exactly the vibe I, I want. That's what I envision. It was like when I was a kid and I was seven or eight years old, I, you, know, I, you don't realize it when you're a kid. Of course, my dad happened to be Gary Gygax and so people knew him in that community. So when I would walk up to a table and say, hey, guys, uh, can I play? They said yes. <laughs> uh, it, hopefully they said yes because they were nice and they yeah. would do that anyway and I think that having kids play your game is a really wonderful uh, you know real wonderful thing and, and mm-hmm. they really love it and enjoy it and you're, you're fostering your hobby and, and really you know it's just a good thing to do uh, but I wanted to I want that I want people to be able to walk up to even you know we're all big kids right yep. so as a big kid I want to be able to walk up to a table and go um, hey this is an open seat uh, so you guys, you know, just starting time, jump in. And they I do. Want people say, yeah, sure. And you yeah. do that at GaryCon, if I'm not mistaken. They have open seat uh, flags for tables. Which is a wonderful yeah. idea. I wish yeah. that that was done at all game conventions. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We make, uh, so basically we just put pizza stands up there, and we make a table, little table placard, mm-hmm. uh, you know, five by eight table placard. And if a, if a green card is up, that means, hey, we're accepting players. Walk on up. If a red card is up, that means the game is full or we've already passed the point where we can accept new, new players. But, yeah, right. if you see a green card, you know, come to GaryCon. Even if you just show up for a day, come yeah. to GaryCon, go to a gaming area, look for someone with a green placard up, and just simply walk up, you know, wait for, you know, find it. You'll probably be able to identify the GM or whatever and say, excuse me, um, do you have room for someone? And the chances are, if they have a green placard up, they're going to say, yeah, sure, grab a seat. Right. And then you play the game. With, with everything that you've said, do you ever see a point where you may have to put a cap on the number of people who are able to come to GaryCon? I, I would hate to think that that would ever be a, a scenario, but... Well, yeah, I mean, I think that that is probably inevitable. Uh, I have resigned myself to that. It may, it may be the case. Um, my choices are to grow it, uh, which means changing venue or adding a satellite venue, neither one of those is a great answer, mm-hmm. uh, but it's possible. I could do it. I believe that's how Gen Con did things, was they occupied multiple sites uh, throughout Lake Geneva, and maybe there was a miniatures gaming area, and there was a role play area, and there was, you know, uh, whatever, different area. Uh, that makes us more fragmented. It's harder to keep that sense of community. It's also much harder to uh, provide management and, uh, you know, uh, for oh. all that. So, it, it would just be difficult. It would be a logistical uh, and, nightmare. And you know what? Bigger isn't always better. No. I mean, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's just a sad fact. Um, it, it isn't. I know I may disappoint some people in that sense, but, you know, it, it, 
we'll, we'll find what that kind of hard physical cap is. I think we're going to see this year what 2,500 people feels like. Uh, and you know what? More people may not come because uh, it's just harder to get a hotel room at a certain yeah. point. So maybe that will be a way yeah, to I, actually. Destroy. I know the rooms in the Grand Geneva were sold out like the last day at, at the convention. Of <laughs> I, yeah, I, I hesitated and I lost. So mm. um, yes, yeah, they sold out. But I, I tell people off site isn't yeah, that far. You know, it's, no, no, we're talking about. I mean, you could probably still find a, a hotel maybe within 10 to 15 minutes. I'm thinking Elkhorn, Delavan area, yeah. Williams Bay, yeah. not that far away. I stayed in and, Kenosha uh, last year and it was oh. a 25 minute drive, no big deal. Yeah, 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 Kenosha. I mean, that's they're really going far away, but yeah, you could get certainly closer than that. I would, I would imagine. Well, he had friends, yeah. so so he was staying for free. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, there you go. Dean will do anything for free. So, so we have this little thing we do with our interviewees, interviewees, where we ask them three questions based on their expertise, and and you sort of segued into that because one of the questions has to be with you being a parent. The other one has to do with being a military officer, and a third one has to do with being a Gygax. So I'll start with the parent and, uh, you know, answer these to, to as, as thoroughly as you wish. But um, at what age do you think you should introduce your children to RPGs? Uh, well, I couldn't wait for my kid to get old enough so I could start uh, gaming with them. I, my oldest daughter, she's my, my mini-me, she's 11 now. And uh, I have made her into a, a little uh, gamer. She loves you know, watching the Voltron cartoon and anime, and she's read all the Harry Potter books and Percy Jackson and you know The Hobbit and all that sort of stuff. Uh, I introduced her to board gaming. I mean, gosh, I would play games with her uh, where we just you know we get out dolls or you know action figures or whatever and around the couch and you know. I'd shake some dice and they'd fight or something. <laughs> it was a little bit, it was a little bit kind of, you know, that was probably Barbie war gaming. Yeah. I Barbie like it. War game. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You got to do stuff like that. You know, put a blanket over the couch or some pillows and you get some terrain and, you know, fly around and you know, blast stuff with laser eyes or because kids have great imaginations. They love that. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I introduced her to like, was it like Snitch Revenge and Awful Green Things and Stone Age and stuff like that at about the age of five or six. And I think she was ready to role play, probably by seven. Oh wow! Or eight. She had the she had the time. She had the ability to do that. But she's always been a little bit more advanced. They're patient with that. Now my youngest daughter, Sabrina, she's five. She doesn't have that kind of uh, patience to sit at the table. She gets distracted. She mm -hmm. has a, She does have a good imagination when she's focused. There, she'll she'll play. Um, uh, so it's probably a little bit of age variance as well as the individual personality. Yeah. Uh, but typically, if you want to introduce your kid to role-playing, I would certainly say by 10, they absolutely should be prepared to play in some way or another. It might be, you know, really loose yeah. and, you know, mm -hmm. whatever, just have fun with it. You know, uh, don't don't take your gaming too seriously, which you probably shouldn't anyway. Yeah, uh, I've actually ran 10-year-olds yeah. at conventions, and, and they're pretty good. I mean, usually they have a parent with them, which is, which is appreciated. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that helps. I don't want to be responsible for uh, a large group of children. And what if one of them wanders off and you're to connect? Can't stop the combat, even though a kid wandered off. My daughter started. <laughs> yeah, <that's... laughs> yeah, my daughter started when she was nine. My son, um, it took him a while for me to convince him to sit at the table and play D&D. Right. Uh, &D, yep. But he was 11, so um, 
I, I agree. Ten Gr- is girls good... are always more ahead of boys. I that's think so. Yeah. <laughs> okay, second yeah. question, based on your uh, fact that you're a military officer. If Jeb Stort had arrived at Gettysburg at the start of the battle rather than <laughs> late the second day, could the Confederacy have taken the battle? You know, it's, these uh, are not easy questions. To, no, it's, it's 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 hard to you know armchair uh, general uh, or you know Monday morning quarterback, whatever you're going to call it. Hey, you're a gamer. You uh, do it all the time. Yeah, that's, that's true. I played Gettysburg, and I I remember giving a talk in college and public speaking about Gettysburg. Uh, yeah, I think the you know the the Confederate side had a lot of uh, you know they suffered logistically, and it was it's going to be tough. Now I'm a logistics officer. Uh, I'll tell you, it's tough to win without enough stuff, uh, without <laughs> uh, bullets, you know, without food, without proper gear. Uh, it makes it really hard on your soldiers. Now the the, the uh, Southern troops did a fantastic job of of uh, you know fighting against the North who had. Um, advantage numbers and advantage equipment, uh, and their tactics were superior. So sometimes that uh, that can carry the day, and it didn't in this case. Now I do think I do think that the, the Confederates could have easily not easily, but they could have won that battle. They made some terrible mistakes that uh, I think led to you know the eventual end of the war. But it, they had to gamble. Yeah. Uh, they just were not in a position where they could fight the long fight. Yeah. That uh, the Union stood, and uh, the people. Uh, uh, you know, didn't stop the war, didn't protest as much. Uh, is it's pretty uh, amazing to think about uh, the American people? We haven't changed that much uh, in 150 years, whatever it's been. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there was a lot of manipulation of the news and the media, uh, uh, which is kind of a different topic. But interesting stuff. I remember yeah. my dad talking to me about that and how uh, <laughs> he was actually not a huge fan of Abraham Lincoln because uh, he suspended a lot of our constitutional rights apparently uh during the war you know declaring martial law in some areas and things like that so he wasn't so sure that uh, uh that you know that set a good precedent for future presidents and that sort of thing uh, he might uh, he might be correct <laughs> yeah roosevelt did the yeah, same thing you, yeah yeah you got to be careful about you know it's, it's we, uh, the american system of government i think you know whatever the great experiment the grand experiment of democracy i i really do love this country and i think that uh, we uh, have a wonderful form of government, but there's dangers, and it requires uh, an informed, uh, you know, electorate. Yep. And it, we have responsibilities. And gosh, it's hard. Yeah. With, uh, you know, kids and jobs, and oh man, all these other things. And I would argue today uh, a little bit that it's hard to get accurate news accounting. Uh, that a lot of times we get we get yeah. people's opinions or you know things that. Sometimes our math is news, and yeah, don't don't get your news off of Facebook, listeners. That's what we're saying. (laughs) That is not a news site. Yeah, and people want to be adversarial so much and treat it like it's a football game, uh, you know, where you have to be for one side or another. Uh, I would just like to point out that we're all Americans and that we all have a shared fate. We're in it together. Yeah, yeah, and that I think we have much more in common with each other uh, than we do different. And that by talking to people and trying to understand their position, maybe we can learn something and come a little bit closer together to getting things done that uh, takes care of the country in the future, uh, you know, uh, as a team, as opposed to uh, always uh, you know, denigrating each other and, and going for the most base uh, 
So yeah, maybe that's what we need to start as a gaming club in Washington D.C. and get congressman, president, you yeah. know, a couple of, like, like to see Ruth Bader Ginsburg pushing some minis, you know. <laughs> there you go. They, yeah. would, they wouldn't be much larger than her, much smaller than her. Yeah. I guess. Now, would, would would they be forced to GM though? Uh, they yeah. might. Yeah, they might have to. I think Ruth would want to GM. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Third you know, question. Third and final question. Yeah. Um, as you know, a, a Gygax. Should there be a separate bastard sword listing in fifth edition, or does it suffice that you can use a two a long sword two handed for one d ten damage? <laughs> this is very controversial among some grognards. Uh, you know what? I think that the uh, fifth edition. Yeah, I didn't know what to think of it. I didn't know uh, the guys who wrote it or anything like that prior to. Uh, but I played. Uh, I played fifth edition. I've introduced my girls to it, and uh, I think that. It's, I think that it's fine the way it is. I think that what you're looking at in fifth edition is uh, a game that is has smoother edges. It's more polished. Right. It is uh, a game that a little bit. I don't know if it's going to you know makes more sense uh, uh, to someone who picks up a book fresh. You know, a, a new person, a new gamer. Me as a you know, it, it, hell, I guess I'm an old Ragnarok myself at this point. Uh, I love first edition that's what i grew up playing all the wonkiness of it to me is like well this is how it should be what do you mean there's it could be something different how, how dare they take away vantine magic from me that's you know yeah. uh, i cry foul um but i've seen new players and i've seen how much they enjoy it and i, I see how they can grasp it a little bit more quickly so i think they did a fantastic job mike and his team uh are a great group of guys and girls and uh, yeah, I, I just I think it's awesome, and that they are having a lot of success and bringing in tons of new gamers and keeping our hobby alive. Yeah. Uh, some people have groused and said, "Oh gosh darn it, Luke, how dare you have Adventures League at GaryCon? This is an old school Renaissance convention." <laughs> and uh, I just point out, hey guys, you know, at one point in time, there was the wargaming club there. They played music, historical miniatures wargame, and there are the great two you know, uh, radical guys who wrote this game called Dungeons and Dragons, and it's where they mixed, you know, miniatures and fighting with stuff out of, like, Conan books. Yeah. Can you believe that? I mean, how ridiculous yeah. is that? They, they, you know, they want, and, and the purists want to kick True. them out and say, no, you can't do this. They were heretics. So <laughs> exactly. And, you exactly. know, and, I read that thread on the the forums, and somebody posted, you know, the people who play Adventures League, they're not, you know, they're not old school gamers. And I almost responded, but I don't like to just feed the trolls. Yeah. But you know, I've been gaming since 1978, and I run Adventures League at conventions because I think it's important to spread the hobby. I mean, when people come in and they don't have a group, you know, there's only a couple places you're going to be able to play D and D, and Adventures League is a. I don't know if I'd want to play it as my only version of D and D. But I think it, it rises the level of, you know, it, all gaming benefits for more gamers, you know, and it gives them, gives them a place. To, so I'm glad you have Adventures League at Gary Con. I think it would be a loss if we didn't try to bring new people into the fold and uh, offer that. Definitely. And, it, and exactly. And once you get and once they're there, maybe they came to play an Adventures League game, but they walk around and they stumble into uh the uh, legends of wargaming room and they start reading about the origins of our game and about my dad and how he came up with Dungeons and dragons and and uh you know how it was published in 1974 and they perhaps bump into somebody who will show them a game like an chainmail or siege of odenberg or mm -hmm. uh, or even 
you know, OD&D, and they just happen to play, and they get an appreciation for the roots of the of the game uh, that they love so much in 5th edition, and they see some of its earlier uh, editions and, and become familiar with it. So there's no reason that new players can't come to a convention, especially Gary Khan, and find out a little bit about the roots of their game, if they choose to, if they care to, and there's no reason that, let's say you're the most grognardy of grognards, there's nothing saying you can't go up and yeah. take some dice and try out 5th edition and see what it's about for yourself. So the game so the game you play now, what edition do you play? Do you play 1st edition AD&D? <clears throat> well, I, I hardly ever get to play. I'll be honest with you guys. It's a terrible tragedy, but the fact is I am so busy uh, with three jobs and a family that I uh, don't get to play nearly as much as I would like to. But uh, the current, the last game I played with my with my daughters was 5th edition. Okay. And in fact, I played it as crazy as crazy as they wanted to make it, I said, what do you guys want to be? And I opened up uh, D&D Beyond. I used that uh, mm-hmm. uh, program to help me uh, build the characters quickly. And uh, my five-year-old is a bugbear ranger. Uh, <laughs> I like bugbears. Yeah, my 11-year-old is a minotaur paladin. Nice. And, uh, yeah, my eight-year-old is an elven uh, warlock. Okay. So, so, so yeah, so uh, they, <laughs> so I mean, it's just I was like, okay, we're just gonna, you know, this would my my dad would, would definitely chastise me for doing this, but I said, all right, I'm gonna just embrace it and go hog wild. I just opened up everything, and that's what they wanted to do. And I said, okay, right. and uh, and we played. And I give them heck. I, I said, hey, you're, you guys are playing monsters, so when you go into town, we're around people, they're gonna be scared of you. You're gonna have to do some convincing. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, they've been forced to sleep. They've been forced to sleep in the barn and told like, "Oh, we don't let monsters in here." Get it? You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I use it as a, you know, just as a, a chance maybe to teach them. It's an opportunity that you could use to teach your children about, you know, maybe sure their characters, you know, they look like monsters, but what are they like on the inside? You know, to, you know, it, you can use you can teach yeah. through role playing all sorts of things. Um, yeah, but but anyway, so yeah, I played fifth edition is the last time uh, that I played. So this is a great segue to kind of talk a little bit about, uh, you know, growing up in the Gygax family. Um, when did you first play D&D? I mean, we've got an, a couple of questions related to probably your childhood and your father and stuff like that. But when was your first time playing D&D with your father? Uh, the first time that I played, that I, that I, I'm pretty sure it's the first time I played, first time I remember, I think I was about four years old. Four? And, uh, <laughs> wow. Yeah. And, uh, uh, well, because that's what my dad did. So yeah, I yeah. wanted to hang out and, 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 and be with him. So, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> makes sense. People over at, yeah, it's a dining room table. Well, uh, we, it was on 330 Center Street, which, by the way, if you go to Gary Con, you can play D&D at 330 Center Street. Um, so it was at our, our home there. And I believe the scenario was a precursor to T1, because uh, we were in a village, I believe it was the village of Hamlet. Mm-hmm. And the adventuring party was there, and they were going to go to you know the ruins on the edge of the edge of the village there and explore them. And I played a man at arms that they hired, and that man at arms uh, secretly uh, worked for the druid, and he was a ranger, uh, but he wasn't supposed to reveal that. So and my dad had me roll the dice for him uh, for attacks and that sort of thing, and then he told me, "Hey, you actually work for the druid, you know, and you're actually a little bit tougher." And, you know, her name is uh, Otis. And, uh, but you're supposed to kind of play dumb and not let them know. But you're keeping your eye on them to see if they're actually a good party or if they're really, you know, an evil 
group trying to you know work and get the uh, Temple of Elemental Evil revived. You know, Fantastic. Yeah, right. There was an early. There was a lot of like subterfuge between characters and NPCs. You know, I think it came from that wargaming roots where there was competition, mm-hmm. and they sort of carried that over. Um, I like that that part of early D anD. d no, you don't see that that yeah. much anymore. Yeah, there's definitely there's definitely that, and I've been accused of being like a chintzy DM before and things like that. But that's just the way it was. I mean, you uh, you know you you had to be on your toes if you uh, you know the world's a dangerous place, and uh, that's certainly reflected in playing Dungeons and Dragons. And sometimes <laughs> sometimes the characters in the party were a dangerous place. <laughs> <laughs> that that too, <laughs> but. Uh, you know, sometimes you might just you might wander into the wrong place, and you have to be feet to survive. You know, sometimes it's better to run away and live. Well, that that day. was one of the options in the original initiative system: is you had to make the decision whether you were going to fight or flee. And there was a couple other options too, but you know, that was the first thing you decided: are we going to stick around, or are we going to beat feet? Yep, and uh, you know, certainly, uh, gosh, I mean, it was a constant struggle. So. Uh, I think, you know, some of the reason uh, that my dad was so hard as a DM and was to provide motivation for your characters to continue adventuring. So uh, a lot of, you know, a lot of motivation came out of some of the pulp uh, writing, you know, including uh, Conan. So why was Conan adventuring? Well, he wanted to go get some riches, right? And what happened to Conan when he, you know, looted the temple? Well, he had a good time. He was drinking, and all of a sudden, he'd wake up a couple of days later, and someone had stolen all his stuff. Right. And he was broke. He didn't have to go out and venture. Yeah. So I think you know, there was a reason why you have to, uh, you know, going up a level, you have to find somebody who's going to train you. You have to spend money to build your spell books and, you know, uh, do the research to learn new spells. You have to, uh, you know, if you're going to, uh, gosh, if you're in a, in a, if you're fighting a, a dragon or a, whatever that has a breath weapon and you fail or an area effect spell like a fireball and you fail your saving throw you had to go through and roll a save for each one of your items oh yeah or it was lost well, i lost I, I lost a lot of items but our dm decided we had too many items one time and hit us with a reverse yeah. gravity that dropped us like 80 feet and then the spell wore off and dropped us another 80 feet so two oh. saving throws for everything we lost 80 percent of our magic items exactly. I, yeah. I had forgotten about that little aspect yeah um with uh, you being part of the uh, Gygax family and, the, and there in the development of D&D, uh, can you point to one aspect of D&D that you were responsible for that, you know, people might not know about but recognize in the game? Is there anything that you can put you your finger on yeah. and say, that's my doing right there? Sure. I think uh, that certainly my, gosh, probably everybody in our, uh, my brothers and sisters can probably say that. Um, for me, I, my first character was Otis. Uh, he was a ranger, and I played him up to 10th level uh, before an, an ignoble demise <laughs> in the Tomb of Horrors. Uh, oh, and then I played a character called Melf, and uh, uh, that he was a fighter magic user. And so uh, as I was venturing through Castle Greyhawk, um, you know, I, I think we've all had this if we played uh, a wizard or a magic user. Uh, when you hit fifth level, you're pretty excited to get that fireball. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was no different than anybody else. I was like, yes, fireball, right now, you know, now I'm going to just... So I opened up, yeah, you know, I think I was adventuring, I kicked open a door, I was solo adventuring, and sure enough, there was, I think with some ogres in a room or something like that. And I was like, how big is the room? And my dad's like, it's 30 by 30. I was like, awesome. 
I said I'd drop a fireball right in the middle of these guys. You know, one in <laughs> with a ten foot ceiling. Right? Exactly. Yeah. And I learned about I learned about volume that day. <laughs> Thirty three and a third it. ten by ten squares. <laughs> yep. Yeah, or thirty two yeah. somewhere around there. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, so I got the backwash of damage and see, you know, I I think I had to save for all my gear and I was like I was I felt that that was very unjust. And I was, uh, you know, <laughs> I was very upset. And I said, yes, you know, I want a fireball, but I want to break them up into small fireballs so that I don't get this problem. And he's like, well, okay, that's a, that's a neat idea. You want to throw, like, some smaller fireballs? Like, yeah. And he's like, all right. So I had to go and spend some time out of game, you know, researching and spend money and describe the spell effects that, that I wanted to take place. And we drew up a spell called Melts Minute Meteors. And uh, that became a spell that he included in the in the rules as well as uh melt acid arrow mm-hmm. um, that was uh something at a lower level again i did a lot of solo adventuring or with a small group and as a fighter magic you know fighter magic you can do it all pretty much right that's yep. healing that yeah, you can find potions for so uh i found that a lot of encounters that i had there was sometimes like a spellcaster or in the back and they would have some meat shields up front that would slow you down while they peppered you with spells and so I said, okay, well, you know, what would be really cool is if I open up a door or I get into an encounter and I have my longbow out and I can shoot them uh, with acid, uh, you know, on there that would do damage continuously over, it doesn't have to be a lot of damage, right? So as long as I yeah. can do a point of damage over time, then you they break up that spell. spell. Yeah. Exactly, right? And then I can kill them each shields in a couple rounds and then they're done for because they can't take me in hand in combat. So that idea is that, well, you know, you can't really get acid on an arrow to stay, but, you know, I had to find a magical solution, and that became melt acid arrow. Um, right. And then through, uh, also, you know, I would talk to my dad about things that I have ideas in my head, and so uh, I made up the, the creature Vapor Rats, which no one remembers anymore. I, I can't, no. For Monster Manual 2. And then uh, one that people do remember oftentimes is the Bully Yep. That was another one that I, that I uh, created with my dad. Nice. Now, well, we, a few we did a comedy bit featuring Melf, um, which maybe you'll find funny. I don't know. We'll have to send you a copy. We'll, we'll email you a copy of that file, maybe. Um, you know, we do put little comedy bits in our in our normal podcast, so we had Melf in one of them. <laughs> hey, um, okay. what is one thing about your father that you think uh, people would be surprised to know? You know, That's I mean, tough one. <laughs> I, get the, I get questions like this, uh, you know, from people like, what was your dad like? And I guess, well, you know, he was like kind of a, <laughs> I think he was a normal dad because right. my dad, <laughs> right? So yeah. to me, it wasn't, it wasn't it's that much different. Uh, but I guess uh, he was a big, I guess maybe this is not a surprise. He was kind of a big kid and he loved to, you know, he had a silly sense of humor. He loved wordplay and bad puns. He used to love to tell long, extended jokes, like 10-minute long story jokes that ended in a horrible pun. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so that you know, uh, he liked to do that sort of stuff. Uh, he truly had a love of old words. I mean, people can understand that from reading, you know, his work. But, uh, you know, he would, uh, <clears throat> someone, I think it was Eric Mona, uh, posted up maybe within the last six months. Eric Mona works for Paizo. Um, and he knew my dad uh, pretty well. And uh, he's obviously a big gamer. And he posted, he's like, I found where Gary got some of these words. I found it. And he found an old copy of a book called Pop Lollies and Belly Bones 
and uh, that had uh, like words like Gundy Gut, Hottie Peak, and all sorts of stuff. So I can't remember what module it was, but my dad was naming a bunch of the NPCs of these silly uh, old words nice. um, that he picked up. And uh, so he had a love of, of old and unused uh, words that he liked to bring back into <clears throat> into circulation. I think he had an unabridged dictionary from 18-something. Uh, it was huge, like, you know, two feet thick. And he found the word Dwyomer Kraking in there and brought that back. <laughs> oh, nice. That's so, awesome. So, yeah, so he loved to do that, and he thought that the uh, English language was a beautiful language and that, you know, uh, the tendency, like the Army writing style, is to be a, you know active voice, use, you know, common words that people can understand because you mm-hmm. want quick, common understanding. He was the antithesis of that. He wanted to... Uh, get people to expand their vocabulary and said, hey, different words, they may mean have similar meanings, but they're different. And that's the beauty of language is that you can use different words and that helps you envision and understand something much more clearly and evoke a certain, you know, emotion or whatever it is that you're looking for. So uh, those are a couple of things. Nice. You have, uh, you brought up a little bit that uh, kind of sparked my interest. You're a major serving as, uh, as a major in the U.S. Army. And... Um, I've often wondered, do you get that uh, uh, recognition when they see your name badge on your uniform saying, are you uh, that guy, Gax? It's, it's not a real common name, at least in America. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sure that, you know, you don't get it at the current rank you are now, but maybe like when you were at a lesser rank. <laughs> sure. And of course, I joined in 1989, so that was a little bit closer to the heyday of D&D, although... Mm-hmm. I would say now that with the, the popularity and rise of 5th edition, we are at or above those kind of levels right now. Yeah, yeah I would agree. Yeah. In mm-hmm. an amazing time. So, uh, yes, tons of people recognize my name uh, when I was younger, and they would ask me that all the time, and then they'd be like, no way. <laughs> that used to make me extremely uncomfortable Really, uh, as a younger person. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Uh, imagine if, uh, I don't know, I uh, but if you have a, a father who maybe is known for something and then people want to game with you, their assumption is, oh, my God, my expectation level is to the roof. You must be the best gamer ever. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the truth is there's nothing in my DNA that makes me a good gamer. Right. Well, we don't know that for sure. There could be. Is <laughs> <laughs> it midichlorians or whatever? Yeah. yeah. Maybe I have. Yeah, exactly. But other than that, other than the discovery of that, there's really nothing in your DNA that, that makes you. Uh, particularly better gamer than somebody else. Uh, I, I have had some experience, so I think I'm a decent gamer and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And of course, over the years, uh, and as an older person, you kind of come into your own uh, comfort zone in life. And now, of course, I don't have those uh, reactions that somebody recognizes and says, oh my gosh, that's so neat. Uh, oftentimes they want to uh, you know, pass on their thanks uh, for what my dad has done by creating the role-playing genre. And uh, I'm now at a point in life where I can very comfortably accept uh, except what you know, those thanks that they pass that they give to me because they can no longer thank my my father directly, and I feel very proud and honored to be able to help carry on that legacy and be the recipient of uh, you know uh, of those feelings or those words uh, since my father isn't here to accept it himself. So totally different. But yeah, growing up, tons of people recognize that, and uh, even more recently, uh, I was at the shop at the little mini store, and uh, a civilian was working there, and he saw my name tag, and he's like. He said, hey, uh, uh, the guy who wrote D&D has that uh, same last name. I was, like, I was like, yeah, that's my dad. He's like, no way. I was like, yeah. He's like, 
can I get a selfie with you? I was like, sure, okay, <laughs> why not? So on very rare occasions, that uh, that does still happen today. I was fortunate enough to meet your father at Gen Con in Indianapolis and uh, talked with him a short bit and got to do exactly what you say people do to you. I got to say thank you. So that was kind of a highlight for me of that Gen Con. So that was that yeah. was pretty cool. Is that 2007? I think so, yes. Yeah. yeah, his last, his last time, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I met him earlier than that. He uh, when he was working on Dangerous Journeys with GDW. Um, I went to school uh, in the town GDW is located, and he came down to the game shop, and I got him to sign some stuff. And I'm also very glad I had the chance to to thank him for because, you know, I don't want to make it seem melodramatic, but D and D was a formative part of my life. I mean, as an adolescent, it gave me sort of a a solid base a group of friends, you know, a social activity that wasn't detrimental. Um, you know, I've, I've told the story before. I'll, I'll tell it again because I, I, I really appreciate it. I went to the bookstore uh, to get some D&D stuff, and my mom was with me, and she told the clerk, who was a young 20-something, he spent so much money on this. And the clerk looks at her and goes, he could be on the street doing drugs. <laughs> and and yeah. that is so true, you know. Gamers tend to be good people. And and D and D's responsible for that in large part. I would agree wholeheartedly. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a positive outlet, and it's a uh, you know I think uh, there's a lot of common you know when we're going through you know uh, young age you know we're going from between child and adult uh, that's kind of an awkward stage, and there's some there's ways you can fall you can head off into the wrong direction. So this provides a positive path, and I I mean gosh I've had to you know, a lot of people ask me about it, and I think about. Uh, you know what role playing is like and uh, the, the positive aspects of it and it took me a while to you know it took me some thinking and over the years i've, I've kind of come up with you know geez role playing is really uh it's really uh, much much more than just having fun it teaches you a lot of life skills that i think are valuable uh for you as an adult uh you know uh, down the line um definitely the very most the most simple most obvious things are like you probably expand your reading Oh, mm-hmm. vocabulary. Expand your vocabulary. <laughs> yes. That, that, that's obvious. Some of the simple math and that sort of thing is good for your younger players. Uh, but the, the things that, that folks don't realize is that you're learning while you're having fun. And just imagine, as, especially as a dungeon master, you have to understand uh, what motivates other people. You have to develop hooks for them. And each person is different at your table, and you have to be able to come up with a reason to motivate them to do things. Uh, whenever you plan an adventure, uh, so you're getting experience in building and structuring, you know, a storyline. Uh, but of course, as we know, we've all, I'm sure we've all been dungeon masters <laughs> before. That party never does what you expect no, they're going to exactly. do. Right? So you have to be able to go off the cuff, be an extemporaneous, uh, you know, speaker, and persuade them and help, mm-hmm. uh, you know, or, or go with the direction that they're going, and then make things up and make it seem seamless and smooth. So you're, you're being innovative. You're uh, adapting. Uh, you're improvising. These are all great skills. Um, yeah. As a player and a, and a DM, you're, you know you have to maybe sell some ideas to convince other folks uh, of your point of view. Uh, so you're doing public speaking, persuasive yeah. speaking. Uh, you're, you're you know you're selling a you're you're arguing a point. Um, I, I also you're, think you're we, you're navigating complex social situations in a safe environment. Yeah. You know for yeah. for. For younger people, that's that's a big deal. You know, those skills you learn at the table can serve you elsewhere. And why does and why does that make sense? Like, well, so what? You're playing a character. 
what, you're telling me that you know how to act like a dwarf in a medieval bar, fantasy bar? No, no, I, I, I would argue completely what you're saying. When we recount our tales of an adventure, what do we say? We don't say, do you remember when we were playing these characters and did this? We say, no, no, we said, we, we, as gamers, we say, remember that time when we yep. mm-hmm. went down into the, you know, the Underdark and we, you know, killed Loth or whatever it is, right? Right. That, uh, you know, you, you, your mind believes that you are doing those things, right? So you get that benefit, like you're talking about, you get that experience in a relatively consequence-free environment. Uh, and you can learn to build confidence in yourself. Maybe you're really awkward and, and just feel so bashful or shy, but as your as your barbarian or whatever it is, you're you know, you can get up there and do things and be up front and take charge and be brave and you can learn, oh, this works, this doesn't, I can do these things and you begin to believe in yourself, you learn and you sharpen your skills. So yeah, I think there's a lot of benefits that we don't even realize or don't think about because we're just having so much fun. But yeah, D and D is a powerful tool and uh, I think that's why it's uh, you know one of the reasons why it's so popular is you're you're having fun and you're learning and you're escaping from <laughs> what can sometimes be uh, a world with a lot of challenges or hardships for a little while and making great friends. Yeah, and now, Luke, I know. Yeah, absolutely, making good friends. Those are some of the friends that I'm still friends with. Uh, yeah. 30 years after playing in high school. Yeah. And yep. oddly enough, we still reminisce about that game or those uh, those sessions every once in a while. So, Kind of, kind of like old soldiers do about when they were together <laughs> yep. battle, yeah. right? Well, that's what we need. VF, VFWs for gamers. <laughs> yeah, well, my game group well, yeah. is well, really bad about that. Yeah. Well, why is that? It's because you, your, your brain uh, kind of believes that you are doing all these dangerous and high-risk activities mm-hmm. with these people, right? Yeah. So it's kind of mixed of, of reality or not, so you kind of form that like a little bit like a band of brothers. Right. Uh, obviously, maybe not quite as powerful, but because you're not really in that <laughs> yeah. situation, but you're pr- pretty immersive. And so I think that helps mm-hmm. really strengthen those bonds, and uh, that's one of the factors why, we, why we're why we so close yeah. uh, with our gaming group. I know that you are on a limited time uh, frame. We want to make sure that we get a chance for you to say anything, anything cool coming up at GaryCon that you want to talk about before we uh, have to end our conversation. Well, I would just say, hey, if you don't, uh, if you don't know about GaryCon, you haven't come to GaryCon, you want to find out more, we do have a website, GaryCon.com. Uh, we're on Facebook. I uh, just search for GaryCon uh, Gaming Convention. Uh, we have an Instagram and a Twitter as well, uh, so you can uh, review and see what we got going on. But this year is going to be amazing. I mean, we've got over 1,600 events, uh, so many great guests uh, from folks like Dave Wesley, the guy who created Bronstein, which is the very first, you know, the spark from which role-playing came, uh, to guys who uh, you know, obviously played and were involved in D&D with my father. There's folks from, uh, you know, Minnesota contingent. There'll be people running uh, Blackmore who were part of Dave Arneson's gaming group. Dave McGarry is there with Dungeon, all the way to uh, folks like uh, uh, Jason Bullman with the Pathfinder 2nd Edition. He'll be there playing that. Uh, Mike Merles and a large contingent from uh, Wizards of the Coast will be there uh, at GaryCon again, running hundreds, uh, literally hundreds of uh, of Adventures League events. So uh, you can play, you know, you can play a historical game like Bronstein with Dave Wesley. Or you can play the most current fifth edition uh, uh, scenarios with guys like Mike, Mike Morales or 
you know, Greg Marks or Chris Lindsay mm-hmm. take your account. So there's something for everybody. So I am just very uh, proud, honored, and uh, just, uh, you know, humbled uh, to be able to be the guy who organizes Gary Con. It's a ton of work, but man, it is all worth it when I'm there seeing thousands of people have so much fun. As it a, really makes it worth it. Yes, as an attendee, all of us as attendees, I think we would like to say thank you for putting it on. It's a great tribute to your father and also a great uh, tribute to just the gaming community in general. I mean, it's, yeah. it's a great yeah. thing thank to Thank you very have. much. Oh, no, you're, you're very welcome. And uh, uh, besides Gary Con, uh, like uh, you, you kind of said it, I'm a uh, yeah, I'm an officer in the in, in the military, so I'm an operations officer for a brigade. So that keeps me pretty busy. I'm a father to three young girls. Uh, <laughs> That'll keep you busy. Actually, <laughs> yeah, they they actually like to see their dad sometimes as well. Uh, yeah, I I, uh, I run Gary Con along with some really dedicated and amazing uh, staff members. So. Huge shout out to all of those guys. I could not do that without you, so I'd never want to forget about that. I get a lot of help to make GaryCon happen. It's just about the community, as we said earlier. Uh, but other than that, uh, uh, things that are coming up, I have I'm very I have my fingers crossed for uh, some opportunities that will hopefully develop in 2019 and come out in 2020. Stuff that I can't uh, talk about, but hopefully I'll be having some creative content. You know. Uh, out there a little bit more accessible for folks um and uh, as i prepare to retire you know, from the military in 2020 and hopefully can put a little bit more attention to uh, creating uh, adventure content and, and and uh doing that a little bit more so as opposed to simply uh being a convention organizer and basically just due to time that i can't do more i have lots and lots of ideas and wonderful things i want to do it's really just a fight with uh, uh with time and i think many of us feel that uh, okay. I'm sure you guys are balancing. Yeah, we're right we're all job. headed to work immediately <laughs> after this. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, so you get it. But yeah, that's, I think the future is the future is bright, and there's going to be uh, awesome. many uh, new things. One thing I can say, uh, I almost forgot, and it's going to be coming up on uh, July 28th, uh, will be Founders and Legends Day. I did that last year, um, right before my father's uh, 80th birthday. I uh, held a streaming event called Founders and Legends Day where uh, I just talked about the history of, of Dungeons and Dragons, exactly what it was like you know, growing up in my father's house. I had some folks on to talk about Art and Arcana, which wasn't out yet. And we played, you know, uh, the main focus, we played three games. We played uh, a first edition game with uh, Stefan Bacorny from Dwarven Forge. And if you don't know Stefan, uh, you should look him up. He's a great guy. Yeah. Uh, and then we played a second game with uh, the Team Phoenix, uh, fifth edition. Uh, she ran some uh, Eberron for us, Maze Arcana. And then uh, the final game was uh, fifth edition with Mike Merle as the uh, DM. And uh, I broke out uh, Melf. I can hmm. fifth edition. I played Melf. And uh, my friend Joe Manganiello came and uh, he brought Arcon out of retirement. And we played uh, 18th level, epic level adventure. And there was TJ wow. Storm and, you know, got a. Uh, 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 Ashley Miller for writes for Voltron. There was just a ton of really cool folks who were at that table and just amazing. And uh, uh, it was great. And we just—I mean—it was probably the best adventure I've had in a decade. Nice. Uh, Mike Merle is a master behind the screen. If you get a chance to play with Mike Merle, do it. He's Played with him dude. briefly at uh, Gamehole Con. Uh, yeah, but, he's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, Mike is great. And uh, uh, so that was a lot of fun. And uh, I, I plan on doing that again. It's a stream. We stream on. Uh, hopefully, we'll be on D and D Twitch again. Uh, and do that, and then we're on YouTube now. So if you want to see what it was like, uh, 
I think it was a t- amazing right. adventure. Uh, you can you well, can start. Yeah, we'll throw a link up on our on yes. our show ca- yeah. podcast notes. Yeah, especially that third game, man. That 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 was just awesome. So, uh, but yeah, uh, that's that's what I got coming up in the in the near term. All uh, right, nice. Funny story, funny side. Uh, I had no idea what I was doing when I put together a stream. I just said, oh, "How do people do the streaming <laughs> thing?" I'll just stream them many heads. Oh, that looks kind of fun. Let's do that. And I was like, "Yeah, I think I want to do twelve hours of streaming." You know, really close to my dad's 80th birthday in honor of him. 12 hours of streaming holy smokes yeah i put that together i put that together uh, wizards the wizards guy said uh yeah that sounds cool you, you should do that uh, we'll send you know michael go down and you know mike said yeah i'll come down and help out I thought, okay great so, so i uh was lucky enough that uh, the folks uh, at critical role uh let me use their studio they're great guys too yeah and yeah. Uh, uh so i got to use their studio uh but I, of course you know the crew you have to pay a crew to do that sort of stuff and 12 hours of training means about a 14 hour day so that's like double time yeah uh and then you know insurance for a production is incredibly expensive even even in a completely safe environment for where you're rolling dice it was huge so all those costs and and everything i put it together inside of three weeks and uh for about 10 of those days i was in indiana in Indiana, uh, the state of Indiana, I can't, Camp Atterbury, doing some sort of mm-hmm. warfighter yeah. exercise where I, I didn't have access to the internet or a phone for 13 <laughs> hours a day to do a secure uh, exercise. So I was, it's like midnight and I'm sitting in a rental car working off of uh, my laptop, at, you know, powered by my cell phone, uh, trying to coordinate this thing uh, and make it all happen. And uh, that's dedication. <laughs> We did, we did it. Yeah, I, I don't think you can watch it and tell me if you think that was put together in two weeks. Uh, you know, you know kind yeah. of, uh, put together. I think uh, uh, it was about an eighteen-hour day for me. Wow! Because uh, I was on. I think I was on screen for like ten and a half hours out of twelve. It was so ridiculous. this year will be easy. I mean, compared to last year, you got to make yeah, this year. Uh, this year will probably be. This year will probably be a little shorter. I think I'm going to go for eight hours of streaming yeah. in two games and just be a little bit wiser. So. So yeah, uh, but I made it happen, and uh, again, I had some help, some really great folks, and hey, once again, I, I said gamers are good people, and I, that that applies to the you know, your small guy who's just uh, knocking out you know material, uh, you know, on the side, to your folks like the creative franchise creative director Mike Morrill at, at Wizards of the Coast, also awesome guy and and a gamer. So uh, once again, our community is great, and it's really cool to be part of it. Well, we want to thank you very much for uh, taking time out of your very early morning, getting on the phone with us and talking all kinds of things about Gary Khan, D&D, and uh, growing up Gygax. So uh, for the Grognards, I'm Dean Geiken saying thanks a lot, Luke. I'm Eric Hawley, also thanking you. And I'm Greg Ziegler. Thank you very much.